You are listening to a message by Refuge Community Church. Refuge exists to glorify God by making disciples that shape their communities with the love of Jesus. I'm excited about this. If you don't know who I am, my name is Sean Seguin. Uh, it is uh, I'm just one. I'm just one of the pastors here. Uh, I'm the executive pastor here, and so. It is my great honor to continue our, our sermon series that we just began in discipleship called Everyday Discipleship. Last week, uh, our lead pastor, Josh, uh, preached on what it means to be a disciple, essentially uh, the idea of just following Jesus, becoming a follower of Jesus. And so this week, we're going to be looking at what it looks like or talking about what it looks like to follow Jesus at home. To follow Jesus at home. And so our sermon title today, if you, if you like that, uh, if you need that, is Following at Home. Um, but before we, we dive all the way in, I would like to just uh, pray uh, again. Just kind of, I love, I love saturating our services in prayer. Um, I think sometimes it can feel like, oh, this is just a transition moment. And I want to con- keep their, our hearts focused and, and our, our minds focused as we enter into uh, the time of receiving from the word. God, thank you for your word. I pray that as, as, we, uh, as we hear it, as I teach it, uh, that you would speak through me, uh, that your, your, your spirit, you would breathe upon the words uh, as, as they go forth. And anything that is not from you, we would just forget it. But every, that, that all that is from you, God, it would just penetrate our hearts and that we would be changed today because of this. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, so um, anytime I walk into a Chili's, um, I have this deep desire, like this urge to say, I feel God in this Chili's. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. Some of you have felt that urge, and many of you have probably said this before, I feel God in this Chili's. And the reason is, if you watch The Office, you know exactly what I'm talking about. The show The Office uh, has so many quotable lines, and, and uh, those of you who are Office fans like me, I, I mean, I, my wife and I have watched all the way through all nine seasons or whatever uh, about ten times. And so, like, it, it's woven into everyday life all the time. But whether it is The Office for you or it is some other show or movie that you just constantly quote, or maybe it's sports references all the time or video game references, or maybe it's just you, the use of GIFs. GIFs? GIFs? Which one is it? GIFs? You go with GIFs. All right. It, maybe it's just GIFs, right? This idea of, like, I'm going to weave the movies and this like narrative world that exists out there into my everyday life and the way that I function. And the reality is that, that we all do this, but for the ancient Israelites that were not saturated with a bunch of other narratives, their narrative that they wove in and out of their life was scripture. It was scripture. And so, uh, you know, when a dude was acting kind of messed up and like pursuing like pursuing some woman that's married might be like bro stop acting like David like you know like I, I don't know you know like calling out these different things I don't know but the idea of or maybe if their heart was after God you'd be like 
you're like, you got a heart like David. You know what I mean? But the idea that the narrative of Scripture is woven into this people's minds so much so that, that everything they do is shaped around this narrative. This is a narrative that starts in the garden where God says, I want to partner with these people. I want to create, a, I want to build a kingdom, and I want you guys to build it with me. I want you to be citizens in this kingdom, and I want you to multiple, be fruitful and multiply, build this kingdom, live as reflections of who I am and spread that image all over and and we fail over and over again and then God builds up a people and says here here's a law that lays it out makes it real simple so you know what my kingdom is like in the midst of this culture how you should live and and how you should reflect me and and we fail again and again and then we get Jesus who comes and fulfills it fully and and you get he becomes the king that we have been waiting for he becomes God on the throne for us like he he becomes the perfect human that we needed like he does it all and so this narrative of scripture the more you read through scripture over and over the more it gets woven into your everyday life and you begin to think in these terms in these ways and so this is is kind of what we're we're getting into as we look at Deuteronomy uh, 6 verses 4 through 9 where uh, the the law is kind of being laid out and it talks about he's talking about the the word of the Lord Uh, and the way it should be woven into your everyday life. Before we dive into all of that, I think it's important uh, that we we understand we're going to be getting into these three points. I like using three points. It's helpful. It's memorable. Uh, That doesn't mean that's all you can pull from these passages, but I think it's it's a good, helpful, memorable thing. And and what I see as we read through this is there are three things that that are important to, to pull away, that they they are to, the people are to receive, to repeat, and to remember the word of the Lord. And essentially, the word of the Lord, it's this narrative, it's this calling, it's all of this wrapped up. It's essentially the gospel. It's essentially that King Jesus came and did this thing that we were waiting for, essentially understanding the fullness of scripture and saying, uh, remember, repeat, uh, receive, repeat, remember the gospel that's essentially what I, I, I think is important for us to gather from this. And, but before we dive into that, I want to look at Deuteronomy 6. This isn't even my first point, so forgive me. I kind of have four points. But uh, Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 through 5, where he says this. He says, listen, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And so this is what immediately precedes this idea of these words that I'm giving you today, and he tells them what to do with them. Um, this, this is known as the Shema, uh, this prayer that would be prayed in morning and evening. We'll get into that in a little bit. But essentially, this is them, them remembering the thing that they are to, to remember, to repeat, to, uh, to build these rhythms in their life. This, this thing that they are called to do, to receive, repeat, remember. It's essentially this idea that we have a king that is on the throne. We have one God. We are his and he is ours and we are submitted to him. We're called to live out this whole kingdom thing, to be his citizens on this earth, to reflect him perfectly and beautifully, as perfectly as we can. And so this is essentially what they're being told, this idea, this, the Lord our God, hero Israel, the Lord our God is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. This idea is supposed to be woven into everything they are doing. And so this is essentially the concept we're taking. So the idea of receiving the gospel, repeating, and remembering is going to be woven in, into all these things. So I, I want to go ahead and just 
continue, we'll, we'll start off with this, this first idea of receiving the gospel. And we're going to look at verse 6. It says this, These words that I am giving you today are to be in your heart. These words that I'm giving you today are to be in your heart. Receive the good news. Receive the gospel. Receive the reality of who God is and who he's calling us to be. Receive this. See, the reality is you can't, be, uh, you can't make disciples if you haven't become a disciple first. You have to, first of all, before you think you're going to live this thing out, uh, before you think you're going to raise up disciples in your household, uh, or you know, whether you are married or you are single, uh, ra- having people over to your house and making disciples, whether you, before you can do any of that, you first have to receive the gospel. And when I say receive the gospel, I don't mean like that you have received it at one point, but that you continually are receiving it, that it becomes a, a continued application on your heart. Yes, we do this. Uh, we kind of we, we did this when we got saved. Right. You said, I understand that I fall short. I need Jesus I understand that I'm called to, to live for him, and all of a sudden you give your heart to him, you surrender it to him, and you begin to live that thing out. But what happens is every one of us falls short. Every one of us fails, even after we get saved, right? Even after we have the Spirit of God dwelling in us, we all sin, we all continue to sin. And, and the question is, how do you continually receive the gospel in your life? How do you continually do this? Not just go, well, I remember that one time when I said yes at that youth camp or I said yes at that church event or whatever, but how do I continually receive the gospel in my life? And so, um, I, you know, I've been thinking about this, this idea of recognizing our sin and turning to Jesus and, and, allow, and then responding to him in worship. And this is essentially what we did when we got saved. And yet um, it's something that we kind of forget is a regular process in our lives. They're called to be a regular process in our lives. Um, and so what I wanted to do is kind of lay out um, this, this process so that we can I take this and go like, I need to apply this to my life on a regular basis. Until I, until I truly become a disciple, I can't make disciples. And so how do we begin to do this? And so I, gave, I have just four, uh, four steps here. So I've got a four-point sermon inside of my four-point sermon. No, I'm just, um, anyway, four steps here. The idea, first of all, is to recognize your sin. This is, I, this is what I think all of it is, is wrapped up in this idea of receiving the word of the Lord. Um, this recognizing your sin. This could be any thought, word, motive, uh, or deed that is not guided by loving God or loving others, but it could also be a lack of thought, word, deed, or motive uh, that, uh, that uh, when loving others or loving God would call you to do that. It's this recognition that, man, I fell short of representing my king. I know what God's kingdom looks like, and, and I failed in this area. It's just essentially recognizing that, that for the first step is just recognizing sin in our lives. The secondly, we need to uh, ask what core fears or desires led us to that. What is it that we are trying to what, that we were trying to fulfill outside of Christ uh, that led us to to the sin to misrepresent Christ in our actions, deeds, our actions, motives, thoughts, words. Because there are a lot of things that all of us desire. We all have these core desires and we all have these core fears. Whether, 
Uh, Maybe it's a fear of disapproval and a desire for acceptance. Maybe it's a fear of powerlessness or chaos, but a desire for control or power. Uh, Maybe it's a fear of pain, but a desire for pleasure. Like these are things that I like common human desires and fears. And they're not unhealthy things. Like it's okay to desire these things. It's okay to be like, man, I don't want that to happen in my life. It's okay to have that. But the question is, where are you fulfilling that? Because the reality is that Christ is the only one who can fulfill all of these things in your hearts. And so when we begin to try to fulfill that outside of Christ, that's where sin enters in. That's when your motives become crooked. That's where, uh, that's where you realize, man, I became really selfish because all I was thinking about is how this is going to impact me. And so I sought out acceptance from other people instead of seeking it out in Christ. I, you know, I sought out to gain control in this situation because I didn't believe that God had control. You know, it, it's these kinds of ideas. So, so you recognize your sin. Then you start to think about what was the core fear or the core desire guiding this but then thirdly you ask how Christ fulfills this thing or would fulfill this thing and did fulfill this thing while he was on this earth because once you begin to see what Christ has done once you begin to see that he became powerless so that we might be empowered right once you begin to see that he became rejected so that we might be accepted Once you see that he goes through pain and death so that we might have eternal and abundant life. These are things as you begin to see what he has done. You recognize that. You see your sin. You see how he would have fulfilled that for you. It it then turns your heart and your mind back to him and draws you into worship, which is our our fourth point is respond in worship. And that ultimately means that, that you've seen what Christ has done and you say, man, I, could, I couldn't have done that perfectly. I failed, but he did that well, and he, and he died because I didn't do that well, and now I have the freedom to live rightly. So recognizing that this, that receiving the gospel doesn't just mean like I said yes to Jesus, you know, 10 years ago or whatever, but it means I say yes to Jesus. I die daily, just on a regular basis. It's a, it's a matter of constant, like, Honestly, is be honesty with yourself, man. I, I, man, I realized my motive was off in that. I realized that my heart was crooked, and I, I, I wouldn't have ever said that to anybody. But I, I need to be real with myself. So, recognizing your sin, asking what fear to, or fear or desire led to that, and then asking how Christ fulfills that, and then responding in worship. And so, this is what I, I think. Really, this idea of receiving the gospel means that we do this on a regular basis. When he says. Um, when, when, when it says in, in verse 6, these words that I'm giving you today are to be in your heart. They don't stop being in your heart. They continually shape you. They continually form you. So receive the gospel. But we don't stop with receiving the gospel. We must also repeat the gospel. And so this idea, you become a disciple and you can do this every day in your home, but you repeat the gospel. Repeat them to your children, verse 7. Repeat them to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. The, what I mentioned earlier, the, the idea, hear, O Israel, listen to Israel, uh, the Lord your God is one God. That, that prayer, that sh- it's called the Shema. They prayed it every morning and every evening. This is something that was regu- daily repeated. Daily repeated. It shaped their day. They started off their day and they ended their day with this remembrance of who is on the throne and who they belong to. Repeated this daily. 
essentially this rhythm would shape things. And the, the reality is that we all have rhythms. We all have our daily rhythms. But what rhythms, what, what things are you repeating in your life and how is that shaping you? Um, man, for the, for the Jewish family to, to call that out, for the, the sons and daughters and husbands and wives for, and, you know, all, for them to come together and, and cry out, our God is one, you know, like to say, you know, love the Lord your God with all your heart. This, this idea of calling out to God on, in the morning and the evening is this constant repeated reminder. And man, we need this, right? Um, I'll say, like, like I said, there's a lot of routines that we all have. We all have our morning routines. We all have our mealtime routines. We all have our bedtime routines, our family outing routines, our date night routines. We have a lot of routines, a lot of things that we repeat. And the question that we need to ask is how are our routines shaping our households? Whether it's your family or whether it's, your, uh, whether it's yourself or whether it's your roommates or whoever, how is your daily routine shaping your household? Because, like, I mean, there are definitely difficult mornings. There are those mornings where I wake up, Kayla and I wake up, and we are just like, I don't want to do anything until I've had this cup of coffee. And... I know I've got my kids awake and I know they want my attention and I know in reality it would be good to start this day off with a little, maybe a little bit of worship or do something a little bit more intentional, but I just, I just don't have the capacity right now, right? Like we, have, we all have those routines that like can, can come in and out. Um, we all have those moments. We have those, but there are these, the, the, the question to be asking is what, does my, what do our mealtimes look like? What does dinner time look like? What does my morning routine look like? What does my bedtime routine look like? How, how, does my, how do my lunches look? How does my work day look? How do, what do my routines look like? And how do they shape the people around me, the household that I live in? Um, my wife, who is uh, Kayla, who is in charge of our children's ministry, sends out this uh, weekly email. Uh, and I think there's always really great stuff in there about being a gospel-centered parent and um, just kind of thinking about discipling your children and having grace for yourself when you fall short. Um, but there was one email that talked about uh, a family culture and creating a family culture. And it mentioned how we can shape more gospel-centered culture in our family. Um, and it defined, I liked how it defined a discipleship culture. And it said this, uh, using your traditions, habits, values, practices to point your child to Jesus. Now, I don't know if she came up with that or if she got that out of a book, but it was very good. Uh, and, and this is exactly what we're talking about. This, this question of like, how, what are you repeating on a daily basis that is shaping your, the culture of your household? Um, how, how are you doing at this? I mean, how do you spend your mornings is, are you, I mean, I'm not here to like call you out and condemn, make you feel condemned, but like, are you, are you the person who's like, I'm going to let my alarm go off 10 times and then I'm going to jet, throw on some clothes and jet out the door because, and not, not have any time in the morning to actually have a rhythm. But my, my, keep in mind, your morning rhythm is rushed, hurried and, and no peace of mind, right? Your, what does your, what does your rhythm speak to you and to, the, to those in your household? Um, maybe it's your dinner time. I mean, we try to get as many nights around the dinner table as we can, but I tell you what, we fall short many times. They're like, we're like, 
I've just had enough. We just need to sit in front of this TV so that I can eat my meal in peace. You know, like we have those, those moments for sure. Uh, you know, we have a set day. We have our routine of Friday night is movie night and we're going to have pizza. And that way mom and dad are like able to kind of just relax. But the question is, what do you do with those times around the table? You know, um, are, you, are you able to ask questions, of, you know, start memorizing scripture with those, you, you know, you're eating with, whether it's your children or just your spouse or just someone, who, a roommate or something? What do, you do with, what, what do you do with all these rhythms? And again, I think the reality is we're all going to fall short in these things. Like, um, there are mornings when I wake up and I'm rushing out the door and I don't have any time with my children and I don't have any time with my wife and my, my, it, lo- it, doesn't, it doesn't look like peace. It doesn't look like Christ ruling and reigning on my heart that morning. Um, but I'll say that like the rhythm is, the hope is that, that the, the normal, uh, what looks like normal is, is having that moment where we're able to just hang out together as a family in the living room. That's, that's even though you have many days where you may you know, not get that. The hope is that you create rhythms that happen on a regular basis. And so whether that's you know, your daily routines or your weekly routines, man, one of the greatest weekly routines is going to your church or to community group, um, discipleship relationships, do, your, do those you're discipling or those who are discipling you, do they know your family? Because we're, we're thinking, or those in your household, we're thinking about this idea of, of what it looks like to follow Jesus at home. And like, have you invited people into your home to be able to see what, that, what those rhythms look like, to see what it looks like when a household is you know, dedicated to Jesus? But then also like on a monthly basis, like date nights, did you, you know that the church, uh, that marriage is supposed to be a reflection of the church's relationship to Christ? Can I say that if you don't have date nights and we fall short on this, we make it once a month, we try once a month at least, man, we need more. But if you, amen. But if you do not get date nights, your kids do not see a good picture of Christ and his church. Like, keep, it, keep in mind, like, your rhythms are shaping your households. Um, and then even like, how do you connect with your neighbors? Because your household, whether you are uh, single, married, or have children, you have the ability to connect with those around your household, right? And so, um, what, what do you, how do your rhythms connect with your neighbors? I mean, how does your, how, I'm, I'm gonna like, just call out everybody's mess. How's your lawn look right now, right? Like, how, <laughs> I, I'll say that ours, we, we're just barely keeping up with it. Um, but this idea of like, your rhythms matter, what you do matters at home, and all of those little intentional things make a difference. And when you are unintentional, that is making a difference as well. No matter what you do, it's making a difference. It's shaping them. And whichever things look and feel like rhythms are the things that are shaping your people around you uh, into understanding what it looks like to follow Jesus. So... The ways we eat, drink, discipline, encourage, work, play, sleep, whatever, everything is tied to the gospel, and, it can, and we can be intentional about articulating that as we do it as well. Um, man, and, and like I said, I think we can all fall short in this, and we can all feel like, let's be real. Like, if you start asking the question, like, okay, so I've got to start thinking about what scriptures to teach my, my friends or my kids or whatever at, around a dinner table every day. I've got to be thinking, like, 
I've got to come home ready to be on all the time. I've got to wake up early so that I can prepare myself so I can do this. And let's be real. That's, that sounds draining and tiring. And there's another rhythm, a weekly rhythm that God built into our calendars called the Sabbath. Rest. Can I say that if you are not getting a weekly rhythm of rest, you are also not teaching your children about the kingdom of God's rest that exists for us, right? Like, there's a reality that we have to be, all of these rhythms train us. And so if you don't get that day off, what are you communicating to those around you, to, your, to, your, uh, to those who live in your household? Because this idea of getting a weekly day of rest, what that does, it says, my work isn't what fulfills me. My work isn't going to be the thing that sustains me. My work isn't the thing that gives me value or worth. It doesn't justify me. If I, I'm not, my, you know, me, uh, we're, not, we're not the ones out there saving people. Jesus is saving. We're not the Savior. Jesus is. And so when we rest, we communicate that it's okay to stop for a whole day and recognize that it's all, not all dependent on you or me, but that Jesus has this. So again, it may feel difficult and wearing, and, but God didn't intend for it to just wear you out, but to give you even a, 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 a day, an entire day, to think about how we can rest. Just relax. And so we need to receive and repeat the gospel, but we also need to remember this regularly. Remembering it, uh, remembering it to help, it's going to help with, our, it's going to be, happening in our rhythms, we'll remember it, but, um, and it's going to happen as we receive it on a regular basis, but we need to continually be intentional about remembering it. Um, verse 8, and verses 8 and 9 says this, bind them as a sign on your hand and let them be a symbol on your forehead. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your city gates. This is all about creating like literal physical reminders. Um, the first part is talking about this, these on your hand and on your head. This is talking about the phylacteries, these, these things that they would wear with a little box that had a little scripture in there and one near their arm and, and between their heart and their arm, these things, and they would wrap around their arm and go so you, they would have it. They'd be able to be thinking about the scripture all day long. Uh, they couldn't ignore it because it was there. They would put this on right before they would say their morning prayers and take it off after their evening prayers. This was something that reminded them throughout the day of, of who, they were, who they belonged to, of who they served, and who, who they were called to live out in front of others. So this idea of, of uh, even creating physical reminders. What physical reminders do we have? This is, an ex- this is probably one of the most practical sermons I've ever preached. Like, we have a bunch of, like, what do you do with this and this and this? But um, what are some physical reminders you have? Um, for me, one of the things that I have done well in the past and I have failed to do in the recent, recent past uh, is, is I set uh, reminders for prayer on my phone. So just setting up times throughout the day. You say, like, hey, I need to be praying for a neighbor. I should be, uh, how, how can I just dedicate this time to loving Jesus, you know, like stop in the middle of your day and spend a moment in worship. So setting reminders on your phone uh, is, is super helpful. And I have to say that the sermon has reminded me that I turned my reminders off at some meeting about a year ago and I have forgotten to spend time in prayer. And I'm like, I need to, uh, not that I've stopped praying, but I mean, like I have not, I don't have my reminders throughout the day. And so like those things are extremely helpful, but I mean, man, there are other ways to set reminders. I mean, do y'all remember WWJD bracelets? I mean, 
Whether or not you think that's cheesy, it doesn't matter. The point is, all day long, you couldn't help but to go, what would Jesus do in this situation? Um, you know, just having something on you. Um, I have friends who have tattoos that remind them of, of Jesus being king of their hearts. You know what I mean? Like, so for them, the tattoos do that for them. Um, so we have these like physical reminders on our bodies, but also like that that can help us. But also the second part talks about writing them on our the doorposts of our house and the city gates. And this idea of the doorpost of our house reminded me of when I was a kid. We had this sign on my front porch. It was uh, it was just a wooden plank, and it said, "As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord." Um, and that, that sign did two things. Uh, one, it re- reminded me every time I came home that there was a way that our family was saying we wanted to live. That we were gonna, whether or not people around us lived that way, we were going to try to live that way. But the second thing it did, it, was it, it would upset me when I saw it, when our family fell short. <laughs> like, I'd be like, man, we're, they're such hypocrites. My parents, you know, like when they, whenever something, you know, my dad got too mad at me or something like that. Such hypocrites, you know. But there is something about that, like having these reminders on our houses. Now, like it may not be a, a doorpost, a thing on your doorpost, but man, having scripture up throughout your house, having little reminders that say like, how, how do we how do we have grace with uh, you know give grace to others to be able to point yourself to Jesus as you as you get ready in the morning as you brush your teeth or whatever um, as you as you prepare yourself in the morning that they're having signs or little things around you that point you back to Jesus and so like living this living this out we need these actual physical reminders I think this is one of the reasons uh, why this is in here actually having physical reminders helps um, whether you setting setting alarms on your phone or you you got signs up you got pictures up or whatever um you know something on in your house that points you back to jesus whether you you start off your day with some worship every morning you know just something to get your heart and your mind pointed back to jesus but also it talks about uh posting them on the city gates and this this the city gates this would be a city of of jerusalem this would be the people of god so this is a community of covenant people Uh, and essentially these days the covenant people are the church and so um, just thinking about the fact that we are lacking signs right now, but when we have signs up, they point us back to our mission to go and serve and love our communities, to, to serve and love God and make disciples. Like these are things that Christ has called us to do. So these signs aren't just there to look good, but they're actually there to point us to the mission and remind us on a regular basis. So all these things, like these physical, actual reminders are really helpful. And it makes me think of, there was a movie that I used to love uh, when, I was, um, when I was younger. It was a movie called Memento. It was rated R, so forgive me. Don't, I don't, I'm not telling you go watch this movie. Um, but uh, it, was, it, was a, it had this really interesting premise. This guy, um, this guy basically, his, his wife is murdered, and he's hit upside the head, and when he wakes up, He's got short-term memory loss, and he, at that point, from that point forward, he cannot remember anything except for from his, when his wife passed and before. And so his whole goal now is, how do I find the person who did this? And the only way he knows how to keep track of it, because every 30 minutes or whatever, he forgets everything that he's learned since then. So, like, how do I find this person? He starts, like, tattooing things on himself he has like pictures of people and writes whether or not he can trust them or not trust them and all this stuff is is his way of trying to figure out this this issue this thing that happened and there's this reality that all of us have this kind of like short-term memory loss 
All of us have this thing where we're, we're trying to, we're, we're like, I know that my goal is, is to glorify God and to make him king of my life and to, and to worship him. And yet we all, we all forget. It, it makes me think of the Israelites. You know, they go, they're like set free from Egypt. The sea is split. They walk through the sea. And then the next thing you know, they're worshiping this golden calf, right? This, this idea of forgetfulness is just a human, pro, it's just a human problem. Like we have this. This is why God builds these things into his word saying like, hey, don't forget it. Set up reminders, you know, set, you know. Don't just don't just uh, do these rhythms because you're going to need these rhythms to remind you. But you're also going to need to wear these things on you. Think about it all the time. Weave this narrative into your life in every single way you can imagine. That's essentially what it, it, what he's saying. And I think, man, how many times you know do you after get you got saved? You remembered, oh my gosh, Jesus, you realized Jesus loved me. He died for me. Oh my gosh, it's, a, it's this huge revelation. And then you, you get into the situation where you, you sin, you know, again, or you continue the same sin and you're like, you start to question, you know, where is my, where, where am I really valuable to him? You know, am I, can I even be a person that leads others to, to him? Because like my life is a mess right now or we have these moments in our lives where we fall short over and over again, and it's easy to question that first thing, to forget what he did, but the reality is that his death doesn't just get you in, but it sustains you, and so we remember this. That's why that gospel application that we talked about, that living that out every day, when you fall short, he reminds you over and over and over again. This is why we need these regular reminders. This is why I say set your alarms, you know, uh, put up signs in your houses, Build healthy rhythms into your life that all point you back to that gospel narrative that keeps your hearts and your minds healthy and shapes those in your household. We all need it. We all need it. Man, and whether you are a full-time homemaker waiting on your husband to come home or your wife to come home from their day of work and you're just like, I just need you here now because I need, I need a break. Or whether you are a person working full time and you're coming home and you're like, I just need a break right now. Or whether you are, uh, you know, you're a single individual and you've been, you've been at work all day and you're just like, I just need to go off and hang out with a couple friends right now to do this thing right now. I just need to go, or I need to go home and I just need to just Netflix. You know, I just need something, you know, whatever your situation is in those moments when we are worn out and, and tired that we would, we wouldn't forget that these rhythms are extremely important. And yet knowing you're going to fail trusting that Jesus fulfills those broken moments in your life. That, that moment when you come home and you don't give your kid your attention that you, that you should be giving them, that you don't build the healthy rhythm that you should be building, then you remember what Christ has done, how he, he's, he's fulfilled it all and he's come and he's died for that broken moment in your life when you're like, I just can't go anymore. And he's like, look, I know you're tired. I'll take this. I got this. Like Jesus is here for you. And he offers that rest and he offers that forgiveness. And so when we fall short, don't just go, well, you know what? I deserve the rest. I just, you know what? It's, it's mine to take. Instead of doing that, recognizing, no, I should, I should have given my kids that time. No, I should have given my spouse that time. No, I should have given my roommate that time. Instead of doing 
in, instead of just putting up defenses and, and giving excuses, recognize the brokenness, recognize the sin, and turn, turn to Jesus and say, thank you for dying for my sins. Help me to love you more. Help me to make a better example of who you are and what your kingdom is. Help me to live this thing out on a, on a daily basis, on a weekly basis, on a monthly basis. Help me to build those rhythms so that my children, so that my roommates, so that my spouse knows who you are and who you've called us to be. This is, is the beauty of what God is calling us to. That We, we are called to, to a high calling and yet there's so much grace for our failure. <laughs> you fall down, you get picked up by his grace, and he, he empowers you to go and do better the next day. So, uh, I'm going to close with this. Every time you say, I feel God in his chilies, <laughs> or apply some moment in some movie, or use some gif, or whatever, let that be a reminder of the way the gospel should function in your lives. The narrative of scripture should be woven so much into your life that you could just like, you could like send that text, you know, you could, you could uh, quote that, that line from scripture. That, that it would be so woven into your life that it's, you're constantly thinking about how Jesus has shaped this whole thing and what Jesus is doing. Think about the story of God and his kingdom told throughout scripture, and how we have been invited in uh, through the forgiveness of our sins as we place our trust in Jesus' death and resurrection. Let's weave this kingdom story into our lives, shaping our, I think this is what's going to shape our households. This is what's going to be a beautiful picture to our neighbors, to our friends, to our children, to our spouses. Wives and mothers, point your husbands and your children to Jesus and remind them of the gospel in all you do. Husbands and fathers, point your wives and children to Jesus and remind them of the gospel in all that you do. Singles, take what you have received and multiply the family of God by making disciples. See, because whether or not you have biological children or adopted children or whatever, you are still growing the family of God when you're making disciples. And in fact, I would say that if you don't have children in your life, you have more relational capacity than that mother or father to go out and make more disciples. So what I would, I would encourage you to use that, that capacity to share and care for others. Now, we're going to turn to a time that is one of our re- weekly rhythms, communion. And I pray that as we partake, um, that we are reminded of the gospel that we are part of this family of God. And, and this is something that we do to proclaim that Jesus has become our king through his death and resurrection. And we are citizens of that kingdom through his blood alone. This is a kingdom outside of time in which those from the past, present, and future uh, who have placed their trust in Christ, are, they're all part of this. In this meal, we are fed spiritually um, with those who, who came before us and those who will come after us. So if you are a believer, whether you call refuge home or not, uh, you are welcome to participate. Uh, If you haven't placed your trust in Christ, don't do something that would misrepresent what you actually believe. By coming forward, you're proclaiming Christ is the king of your heart, that you need that death, that that body and that blood for your salvation, that that's, that's for you. But if that's you, if you don't believe this, and you don't come forward, that's fine. Spend time in your seat asking God how you might respond, how you should respond. 
Ask him to make himself real to you. But I'm going to go ahead and we'll just give the, uh, the institution of communion here. But um, on, the, on the night that the Lord Jesus was betrayed, after giving thanks, he took the bread and he broke it and said, this is my body, take and eat. Do this in remembrance of me. And after supper, he took the cup and said, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the death, uh, the death of Jesus until he returns. We're going to go ahead and pray, and then you are welcome to come forward and partake. Uh, the table will be open. God, thank you so much that your death and resurrection has invited us into this kingdom to be your citizens and to proclaim who you are and to represent you in all that we do, in our rhythms and, and the things that we repeat every day, the things that we, in, in, our, in the way we receive the gospel, in the way that, that we uh, remind ourselves on a regular basis. God, help us to live this thing out, to weave this story into our lives and, and let that shape the way we live our lives in our households and, and wherever we go. Thank you for your death. Thank you for your forgiveness for when we fall short and we just don't have the energy to be intentional. Help us to move forward and continue taking steps towards you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. We hope this message encourages you and strengthens your faith.